Hey everybody, welcome to this week's roundup. There is a bunch of stuff to talk about this week, so I'll try not to spend too much time on any one topic. And I don't know if this means there's a whole bunch of stuff this week, so there'll be less next week. But as always, I don't care how long these are. Maybe this week's is going to be an hour and next week's is going to be five minutes. Whatever. These are as long as they need to be. So hopefully they'll both still flow nicely, but let's jump in and see what we got. First up, Lou from Lou's Retrosource just did a video showcasing Wizzo's remote control app for the Mr. FPGA platform. This is the app that I've been gushing over for months now, ever since we did the interview, which is also uh, embedded right in the bottom of the post if you're interested in that as well. But honestly, this has just been such an unbelievable help to how I use and manage my Mr. And it's, it's good for little things like you plug in a brand new controller and you haven't mapped it yet. So do you go and dig out a USB keyboard? Nope. Just flip open your phone. If you've saved it to your favorites, you just press a button and you could control your mister with your phone app, which for stuff like mapping button controls, is totally fine. It's not like you're trying to use your phone as a controller. You're just trying to hit escape and enter and spacebar and stuff like that. And the arrows, obviously. But that's just scratching the surface. Please check out Lou's video where he goes into a lot of detail of this stuff. And if you're somebody whose mister is connected to the network, whether it's Wi-Fi or wired, just download it, install it, watch Lou's video. And it'll, it's one of those things that you probably didn't know that you needed this until you downloaded it and started using it. And if you have multiple misters connected to a network, this is a must have. This will allow you to change your MAC address just by pressing a button. Um, it'll allow you to easily access each without knowing. If you do that, you could uh, use a host name and change the host name and access it that way. There's so many things that this thing does that have just made my life infinitely easier. So, uh, you know, there's no affiliate link on a free app. I'm pushing this because I want all of your lives to have gotten as easy as mine has when it comes to managing Mr. So I'm going to continue to push this thing because I absolutely love it. And thanks to Lou for doing a video on it. Victor Lushitz, the same developer who did the 32X Resurrection complete remake of 32X Doom, has just released a PCM sound driver for Genesis Mega Drive consoles that allows you to access the Sega CD's PCM sound hardware and not necessarily the disc at the same time. So to skip to the end, essentially what this means is either ROM hackers of existing retail games or people just doing from scratch dev work on the Genesis could have better speech and PCM sound effects by utilizing the Sega CDs chips as well as the Genesis. So you might be thinking, well, accessing the Sega CD audio, didn't Chili Willy do that over 10 years ago? Yeah, but this is different. So what, and I believe this is actually based on some of Chili Willy's work as well, but that, those original hacks allowed you to have CD audio playing along with a Genesis game. So we've seen that a lot with uh, FPGA hardware emulation. So doing things like MSU1 style drivers and getting CD quality soundtracks with Genesis games. And while this could allow for that as well, the very cool feature is even if your Sega CD's drive is dead, 
you could still use original hardware to access those Sega CD's sound chips. So you don't necessarily have to use CD audio, you could just use PCM samples for this. So I thought that was a really cool and unique way of going about doing it. Obviously, this could be implemented very easily into the, any of the FPGA or software emulation uh, solutions for doing this. But the fact that you could absolutely do it with real hardware, with a Genesis or Mega Drive connected to a CD unit, I thought that was pretty awesome as well. So thanks to Vic for continuing to make open source and awesome stuff. Thanks to Chili Willy for getting us started and helping with all of this stuff. And thanks to Matt for writing an article that uh, even dummy non-programmers like me could understand. PixelFX have just announced EU and UK distributors for the RetroGem, and this really made me think of what I probably should have described the product as last week. Now, I still stand by every single word I said that was all true, or at least I parts that were opinions I was pretty clear about. However, here's in about a minute what I think I should have probably just said last week. The RetroGem is an internal digital-to-digital -digital HDMI mod for multiple consoles, including the PlayStation 2. It's $200, which is exactly the same as their DC Digital, PS1 Digital, and N64 Digital. Those have all gone up in price because everything has gone up in price. And it is the same price with the same features, except their focus is now going to be on this product because it should be easier to keep this one main board in stock and then have adapters that allow you to use them in all of those different consoles, as well as some other ones. Now, although the price is $200, there are some discounts available for people in specific situations. I think the number one easiest thing to visualize would be if you are overseas somewhere outside of the US, you could 100% legally buy the cheaper software version, same hardware, but cheaper software. You pay import taxes on that, and then as soon as it's installed in your console, then you pay to have it upgraded, and it's basically the same price. You just save quite a bit of money in import costs. I also think this is great for people who might just want to spend that extra money on an, a good quality installer and then upgrade software later on if they choose to. And while most people will probably end up upgrading or just buying the full edition, I think this is also a great incentive for people that were interested in any future scalers that have HDMI inputs because you could save quite a bit of money by just getting the lower software version and outputting direct original resolutions and letting whatever your future scaler is do all of the work. So essentially, this is an incentive for you to save some money on these and then use that money to buy their morph. But that's obviously all speculation because they did not mention the morph at all since talking about the retro gem. And since I'm speculating anyway, here's what I hope and think is happening in the Pixel FX world. The morph was originally supposed to launch as a competitor to the RetroTank 5X, and then it got delayed from its launch date of last summer, and I assume that's because they heard Mike was working on a 4K version, so they wanted to make sure that they did 4K as well, but now that it's still not here, are they just going to release another 4K scaler that does exactly what Mike's does, even though Mike's 90 plus percent done with it and about to launch it? Or maybe they didn't mention it because they see a hole in the market. And rather than be competition, maybe they could find a way to just pull on different sales while kind of still boosting the rest of their products. And what I hope, I'm speculating, 
all of this is my own BS. I just hope that they're listening and take it seriously. But I hope that they see this stuff and they think, okay, well, let's not just do exactly what Mike did. Let's make something like maybe a HDMI to HDMI 4K gaming scaler that's going to be less expensive. And then let's take that Infinity Switch, which looks awesome, by the way. All the pictures they put online looked really cool. So maybe let's take that and then have an analog to digital conversion module in it that's designed to work with that other cheaper scaler. Not cheap. It's not going to be cheap, but cheaper. And then that way, if you want, you could buy all their products and interface it together. Or you could still just get piece by piece, whichever you want. I imagine there would be people out there with Xbox 360s and PS3s that would just get the HDMI scaler, or maybe you want to upgrade your Switch, or you don't have a Switch, so you want to get their entire infrastructure all in your setup. I just really hope they take a step back and realize that, you know, building the same thing that other people are doing with a little bit of your secret sauce on it is just going to create needless competition, and maybe they'll look at this as a way to boost sales in a way that no one else has really stepped up to the plate and done. And if that is why that there's a delay, once again, speculation, I am wholeheartedly behind them and I will promote the ever living heck out of it. I just hope that it's a real product and it's not vaporware because, you know, let's just be honest. I have had to promote products that I've been asked to promote that are still not here, like the DS consoleizer, the 3DS consoleizer, the Game Gear consoleizer, the Game Boy Player consoleizer. Game Boy Advance SP consoleizer and the Neo Geo Pocket Color consoleizer. And speaking of announcing new scalers, Mike Chi has just released info on the RetroTINK 4K, and it's real. It is 100% real. This is a prototype I'm holding in my hands now that I've had for months. Uh, the official version is shown in the video or in the post next to me. You can check out the post for more details. And I have just been waiting forever to talk about this thing. Uh, as always, I always keep my mouth shut when it comes to prototypes and beta testing. But I've been using this for a while and there's so much to talk about. I want to give a very short and basic update now because I think a lot of the features that I've been testing that are my favorites require a full-length video to, to really demonstrate why it matters at all. But I have to talk about one thing first to make sure I get everybody's expectations in check. The price. It's going to be really freaking expensive. So here's how you should look at this. Think of the RetroTINK 5X, the current product that's out now that is awesome. It's not going to stop being awesome when the 4K is released. Think of the RetroTINK 5X as like a really good quality consumer grade TV with component video inputs. So it does everything that you could imagine. Nobody who's a fan of retro would ever say it looks bad. Everybody recognizes how good the product is, you know, how good that TV would be too, except there are a bunch of crazy people out there like me that also appreciate going the distance and picking up something like a Sony BVM, a broadcast video monitor that has a lot more sharpness, a bunch more control options, and those are insanely more money. More money than the RetroTINK 4K is going to be, that's for sure. And there are tons of people out there that would go, why would you need that? That first experience is totally fine. There's no lag. Everything's great. And they're totally right. If you are someone who has, let's just say you got a G-SCART switch or a G-COMP switch and all your consoles are plugged into that and you're plugged into the RetroTINK 5X and you're just scan, uh, scaling to 1080p 5X in generic 4x3 mode and everything's perfect and you love it, 
Keep loving it. It's an awesome setup. You do not need to upgrade. You do not need the RetroTake 4K. And I mean this with love. There's not any slander towards Mike here. I just want to get expectations in check before we talk about any of the features with it. Because this product is for the people that would look at a Honda and go, that's an awesome car, but I'm saving up for the Acura. This is not for the people that go, it's the same car. It's the same engine. What are you doing? And I mean all of that with respect. I'm not teasing anybody. I'm just trying to make it very clear. This is an expensive product for people that want all of the extra features. However, it's going to be from about 1080p below 1080p 60. It's going to be pretty much the same as the 5X. So, and once again, that's a compliment. Now, however, this thing has got a bunch of things that I think are really worth talking about. And the one thing I just wanted to clarify that might not be really, uh, really clear in Mike's post about this is in back, you have a bunch of component video inputs and some audio inputs for the VGA port that in the final design is going to be a 3.5 millimeter jack. And in front, you have S-Video and Composite, but there are S-Video and Composite inputs in back. You could either use the green component video uh, as, as Composite, or you could use the VGA as either S-Video or Composite. And the way I have everything run in my setup is I have all of my consoles run through an Extron Crosspoint that's just out of view here behind me. And all of those are run via a BNC to VGA cable into this. And then I have a second output of the Crosspoint, just a single RCA adapter going into the green jack. So everything, RGBS, so basically RGB SCART, but through this connector, S-Video, Component Video are all run, and VGA uh, technically, all run through this connector. And then composite videos run through the other. So everything I have is plugged into the back of it. And then all I have to do when I power on the Tink 4K is select my input there. I wanted to share that because that's one of those interesting things where I think one of the complaints of the 5X and definitely a complaint of the OSSC, another product that's still awesome and not getting any less awesome with these releases of the new ones, is that people don't like, <clears throat> a lot of people don't like cables coming out from all sides of these things. So you can absolutely have this put in your setup, have all the cables come out the back, and it'll be nice, neat, and clean. The other thing is there is an HDMI input. And what I personally have been using this for is Blu-ray players with direct video output, source, source direct. There's, there's a bunch of uh, different names that they call it, but basically it sends the data off of the disc directly to this, and then it lets this do the scaling. Why would you need that? Well, if it's a 1080p Blu-ray and you're going to 4K, you probably don't. Your TV will probably be exactly the same as this. However, what if you put in a DVD that was a TV show? So something shot in 30 or 60 frames per second, interlaced video. Now you could use CRT Simulate with a mask, and now you could have this on your TV and have it look basically like watching a PVM with original 480i content. I thought that was cool, and you have no analog interference, but I've also been using it with Mr.'s direct video mode. So now you just set Mr. to direct video and let this add all of the scaling and scan line filters to it 
which was awesome. All true digital scaling of that. And of course, it could be used to scale all of the Pixel FX products and basically anything else out there that's HDMI. You could take those classic consoles like the SNES and Genesis Mini and plug those into it and go from 720 to 4K or even use the the uh, pre-scaling filter to drop it down to 240 and then scale that to 4K so you could actually have a true look of what it would have been like. Of course, you're still end up playing a laggy, you know, emulate software emulation console. So that's up to you if you want to buy a premium device to do it. But I'm just putting ideas in people's heads. And yes, you can scale Xbox 360 and PS3. The one thing that I will say is that right off the bat, launch firmware. If there are PS3 and 360 games that you feel would benefit from sharp scaling, this thing is absolutely going to improve that for the same reason that it improves retro. Now, your TV scaler probably does a great job soft scaling those. So you're really going to want to mess with the settings and see if at least at launch day this could improve it. But Mike's been notorious for releasing free firmware updates that do quite a lot to things. So who knows what this is going to be like a year or two from now. Maybe you could do even more with those consoles. But really, this is basically everything the RetroTank 5X can do with some slight improvements on the analog side. The, the 5X is still incredible on that. Um, can go to 4K. It's going to have a bunch more resolution and refresh rate options. And also the compatibility is a lot, uh, very much increased. And I just want to take one quick second before I quit, uh, stop with this one to thank Brooklyn Arcade, as well as Tech, Cruise, and Beast for helping me out one night. I went down there and hid in the corner of the basement and tested every arcade board they had through the Tink 4K. And including, I believe it was the Taito board, uh, Taito something, but it's notoriously bad with sync. It won't sync with anything. And it synced with this. There was only one or two strange issues, and Mike's looking into those. It could have just been some of the stuff that we were using, but it the compatibility is significantly gone up, at least on the arcade board side, which means on the retro PC side, it should be increased as well. So once again, with all of the love and respect to absolutely everybody who's listening to this, including Mike, you don't need the RetroTink 4K. You probably need the RetroTINK 5X if you want to have an awesome experience with all those options on your flat panel. But for people that want to spend the extra money on something that'll do a lot on both TV shows, some movie stuff, and video games, of course, because that's its focus, this is going to be huge. And I think there's going to be a lot of more info and a lot of videos out there. And now that Mike's officially announced it, I'm going to be using this basically in every single live stream that I do from now until launch day. And I will show more features. And just remember that it's still currently in beta. So if something goes wrong, don't worry. I'm sure it's going to be fine on launch day. But it's been really solid since. So uh, very excited that Mike officially has announced this. And we should be seeing it by the end of the year. And it's going to be very expensive. But, you know, I, I'm not going to say it again. You know, it's, you get what you pay for. You don't need it. But if you want it, you're going to feel like it's worth the money. Pre-orders have just opened for the NES and Famicom versions of Sam's Journey, which was a game written by Knights of Bytes for the Commodore 64 a few years ago. And they've been working on an NES version ever since. And it looks like it's ready to go with every option you could imagine. You can get just the cartridge only for either Famicom or NES, or and that still comes with quite a few different things. 
But you could also get an Ultimate Edition that has a ton of extras. And then they even sell separately other stuff like vinyl versions of the soundtrack, a third-party controller with a Sam's Journey sticker on it. So really, this is just one of those games that, you know, check out the gameplay that's out there, check out their footage, see if this is something that you're interested in, and then just decide which version you want. Are you a collector that wants absolutely everything? Do you just want the cartridge in a box and a manual? All of the options are there if you're interested. I don't believe there's going to be a ROM released with it, but I think that's something that if I personally, just opinions, but if I were a retro game developer right now, I would release on cartridge first, and I wouldn't even talk about ROMs until after those had shipped to customers, just to significantly reduce the amount of piracy. Because people trading ROMs, I know there's a lot of people that disagree with me on this, People trading ROMs don't really cut into sales that much, especially for retro stuff, because if you really love new retro games, you're probably going to buy it anyway. But what does cut into sales are when absolute dirtbags around the planet take this ROM, put it on a cartridge and sell it. And it seems as if it's the official version. So people that don't know any better, which is probably most of us would see it and go, oh, cool. Now, you know, Knights of Bytes must be selling these on Amazon. Nice. I could just buy it right from here. And they don't even realize that they're buying it from a thief. So I totally get not wanting to release the ROM at least right away, but hopefully they'll eventually let it uh, sell it ROM only. But for now, if you want the official cartridge for it, definitely check out the post and all the links. Chris from Displaced Gamers just released another video in the Behind the Code series, and this was for one of the most requested games that he had had, Strider for the NES. And I think I'm just going to use Chris's words to describe this. What happens when you fail to account for the NES not having the next frame ready before it's time to draw that frame to the TV? The answer is Strider. Strider happens. I like all of these videos. I've watched uh, every one that Chris has released. I understand most of them. I'm not a programmer, so I'm trying to follow along. But this one was kind of funny, even. You know, it's not funny like written as a comedy. Funny like the game is so broken, like really broken. So if you're into these, even a little bit, this is definitely one to watch because I think you'll find it as uh, interesting and amusing as I did. Steve from Retrotech just sat down to do an interview conversation with Kirsten Otis, who is the audio and video design department head for the Museum of Fine Arts in Houston. And I've actually met and hung out with Kirsten a few times. Uh, he took me on a tour of at least two museums, two of them. Uh, we also went and hung out down at the shop and everything. Awesome guy. I'm really glad that Steve had the opportunity to talk with him about this stuff. And I think that this is something that uh, this would really be like a blanket video for many people because retro video game nerds might be interested in it. People who like old tech and even just people who want to understand why they still see these things in museums when you could do other stuff that could do a decent job having the same effect. So I think this is really a fun one for people to listen to. And I think hearing Kirsten's point of view on all of the stuff and, and even Steve's as somebody who has to go in and fix it is pretty interesting. So uh, awesome interview with two very cool people, and I, I hope other people enjoy this one as much as I did. There's a bunch of updates to the GC Loader project, and I'll go through all of them right here. First and foremost, on Monday, pre-orders have opened from US, EU, and UK resellers of the latest version. 
And latest version is because I believe the parts that were required to manufacture the original version had gone end of life. So it had to be redesigned by the same two people, Daniel Crack and Dan Kuntz, Dan from Pixel FX. And they used parts that should be available for a while. However, since everything has gone up in price, this went up in price as well. It raised $25 to $105. So maybe that's still totally under your budget, or maybe you look at alternative solutions. Either way, I think it's one of those things where it is what it is. It just it had to go up in price. Now, this should have exact same functionality as the last batch that had been out there. Even though it's different parts, it should work exactly the same full Swiss compatibility, including write support, faster load times. However, this does seem to have a Wi-Fi chip on it. Now, Daniel said that it, they're hoping to be able to play games online with it. They're not really sure if streaming games would be a good experience, but I have to strongly disagree. After seeing all of these ODEs with methods to connect to RetroNAS, even including the GameCube with its network card support, I think being able to have just a small SD card in your GameCube to manage all of your homebrew and everything else, but to stream any of your ISOs from your retro NAS over your local network, of course, not over the internet. I think that would be a huge feature. And I think this is once again, one of those things where people might not realize how awesome that is until they've tried it. And I thought it would be neat until I've been running everything off of my retro NAS ever since I had installed it well over a year ago. So hopefully that functionality will come sooner rather than later. And hopefully there won't be any limitations. There could be a few reasons why you might get some slowdowns, but you know, it's two very smart people working on this. I imagine they'd be able to find a, a workaround for it. Um, and I do really want to see all ODEs in the future have at least an optional plug-in for Wi-Fi or some kind of network access for this exact reason. So uh, as usual, it's the same shape, the same install. So if you want to, uh, if you want to install it with a 3D printed tray and an SD card extender, just check out all the stuff that LaserBear sells with it. And, you know, hopefully it'll still be in stock or still available to pre-order by the time you hear this. Um, I would hope that they would have made enough to go around and it wouldn't just sell out immediately. But even if it did, I just at least wanted to give updates on the project, verify that there is a price increase and it is different hardware, but it's the same exact functionality other than the Wi-Fi chip built in. You don't lose any functionality with this. Uh, so hopefully that's all the info you needed. Bitmap Bureau have just opened pre-orders on a Super Nintendo and Super Famicom version of Xenocrisis. The price is either $70 or $100, depending on special edition or regular edition, and it's due to arrive at customers before the end of the year. There's both the Super Famicom and SNES, and the box art and cartridge match exactly as you would expect. And I think one of the coolest things about this is they run in true 60 frames per second, which the team had speculated that it wasn't even possible to do so, but because of a custom cartridge that they're using, they're able to pull it off. Now, the custom cartridge probably means that it'll never be available as a ROM, but there are many different ways to play Xenocrisis nowadays, and I think offering a cartridge on the Super Nintendo is absolutely a way for retro SNES fans to, to play and own this game on their console and really just have an awesome experience. So if you want to see a demo, they have a post up on social media uh, flexing their awesome XM29 monitor. I miss mine. That thing was so awesome. Uh, so check it out if you're interested and uh, pre-orders are open right now.
8-Bit Doe is now selling a new white version of their M30 controller that has a color scheme styled after the Japanese-only HSS-101 Sega Saturn gamepad. So it doesn't look like the Saturn gamepad, it's just the color scheme. And it comes in Bluetooth or 2.4 gig versions, and the 2.4 gig has an included USB receiver. So this thing, basically, if you like the original 8-Bit Doe M30 and you want it in a very cool-looking color scheme, this is definitely the one for you. The price is the same, and it's available right now. It's not a pre-order or anything like that. I believe on Pork's site, on the uh, uh, Mr. Add-ons latency sheet, it performed pretty well. The only thing that I would add is that if you're looking to connect this to a Saturn, you would need one of the Saturn Bluetooth solutions. And if I remember correctly, one is coming up for order or pre-order soon. Uh, if I missed it, please make sure to uh, attack me with pitchforks in the comments. But I'm pretty sure that's coming up soon. And we'll, of course, let you know unless I massively screwed up. Uh, and that way, if you wanted to, you could just pair this with a real Saturn with Bluetooth, or you could just use it with anything at all in uh, using the USB dongle the 2.4 version would come with. Now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates, Care of Lou from Lou's Retro Source. As usual, I'm going to skim through these, but if you hear anything that piques your interest, please go and watch Lou's video where he shows visual examples and has much more details of this stuff. First up, developer Reiki has fully extracted schematics for the Konami SCC chip, and this was used in the MSX, but this also could be used for a city bomber or haunted castle core. So that's pretty cool that that uh, has progress on it. Also, Psy2002 on GitHub is working on porting Mr. Cores to the Mega 65, which is a complete 8-bit computer running at around 40 times faster than a Commodore 64 while still remaining pretty compatible. Hans Bayer, who's working on the Mistex project, says that this will that this work will be very useful for the Mistex, which is also porting a lot of the stuff from Mr. Over. So I don't want to repeat myself. Go back and listen to the interview with Hans if you want to hear more about Mistex. But I just think that's going to be the most exciting thing starting probably a year from now in the Mr. World, because it basically would allow the same stuff on multiple hardware. So very cool that people are putting the work in to do so. Uh, and it seems to be done in a way that's very respectful, not like, screw Mr. I'm making my own hardware. Like it all seems like it's part of the same, uh, the same ball of fun, I guess. Also, Ultimate Mister is now selling the Gamer Pro Advanced Adapter, which is a USB device that can plug those HDMI controller connectors into it to allow for a low latency USB controller adapter. Um, you know, opinions are like assholes. We all have them and they all stink. And I hate these HDMI adapters. I always have. I thought they were dumb on the Bliss box. I, I, I just, I wish they never existed. They're the most confusing thing for noobs. It's so weird. And some people love them. So, you know, I, I, I am okay being wrong with that. Uh, I did absolutely love Ultimate Mister's other all-in-one snack adapter. And I wish they would do a version of that that also has maybe a switch to go between snack and regular USB. Because that's a small box with a bunch of different controller ports in it. That I thought was brilliant. I loved that idea. And I'm, you know, I'm not mad at them for making this. They should have options for everybody, not just loudmouths like me. But yeah, I, I just can't stand these adapter things. And I just think it adds so much clutter and weirdness and it just adds to making Mr. feel like a science project when it's supposed to feel like a game console. But once again, just my stupid opinion. If every single person listening to this disagrees, that's totally cool too, because I'm sure this thing is going to perform just as well as the other products. They claim a one millisecond poll rate, 
and I believe them because there's been some good products that have come out of the controller adapter world late, lately. So by all means, Ricardo, no, no disrespect for this. I'm just share my opinion, and I hope you sell a bunch of them, but I just wish they never existed to begin with. Next up, some people are using RFID tags to automatically run games on Mr. They've even printed cards that have the logos of the games they want to run. It works by taking a card, tapping it to an RFID reader, and then Mr. will execute the game that was printed on the card. I love this. Yes. Yes, technically it's useless. I know. There's going to be somebody in the comments who's like, how is it any different from just selecting the game? It's not. I totally understand that side of things, but I personally think it's awesome. And once again, feel free to call me an idiot if you would like to. I just think it would be so neat because what if, just putting this out here, what if you have a complete inbox collection? Or what if you just have a bunch of cartridges and you open up your cartridge and you just put some, some blue painter's tape on the inside to tape your RFID sticker to it? which is completely removable, not a permanent mod. The painter's tape won't even leave a goop on it. And now every time you want to load a game that you own, you just tap it up against your Mr.'s RFID reader. I think that is awesome and hilarious and a tactile experience. And yes, technically it's useless, but I love it and I would buy it. So I'm sure at least half the people listening are going to disagree with me on this. And the last thing I talked about, that's cool. It's all just opinions. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's all awesome. We already talked about Wizzo's remote script, but there's also an issue where the U-boot text file would have an issue uh, when you set a MAC address and fast USB polling, but that's now fixed. So basically, if you were going to use any of this stuff, just run update all and then use it, which you probably should always do anyway, but it's just a, a friendly reminder. Uh, Wizzo has also made his experimental user interface for Mr. Public, so if you wanted to check it out, you could go over to GitHub and download it and I really hope a bunch of people jump on this and make this into uh, an, you know, elevated Mr. UI, if you will, because I definitely think that's one thing missing from the project. Not needed. Running accurate cores is what was needed. And the, everybody that's contributed to Mr. has made that happen. So nobody should feel bad for not having a UI. But if people would like to work on one now, awesome. Uh, also, uh, Uber Yoji. I'm, I'm so sorry. Everybody knows how bad I am at pronouncing these. Uh, have updated their custom boot ROMs for Mr. These are ROMs that could be used as splash screens when loading a core, which is great for streamers. This, seems, this might seem like something to skip over, but I got to stop for a moment. Anybody who streams using Mr. has probably had compression issues or possibly even dropouts on all of the UI. So that fuzzy screen in the beginning, you have to make sure to, to disable that and change it. I love Ronnie Snice's backgrounds for those. You might want to just uh, enable those and update all and use those. But also every time you're loading a core, you boot up the core and there's just the menu there. It's really cool to be able to have these backgrounds because it's less of a chance of the screen going all black for long periods of time. And then the compression ramps up. And then when the, uh, the signal comes back on, it causes very weird things in streams. I don't really know why, to be honest with you. I'm sure smarter people could explain it to me, but everybody who streamed Mr. has run into something like that. Also, there's been more updates and some progress on the N64 stuff for Robert, who's just absolutely killing it with that. So thank you very much. Uh, also, Pierco is taking a look at Super Off-Road, which is a very fun game. He's looking at schematics now, but he needs some missing PAL dumps. So if you could help him obtain a PCB, please contact him on Twitter. 
And lastly, the big one, Hotego posted a video on Twitter teasing that the Simpsons core might be coming soon. This uh, video doesn't show any gameplay or anything, but you could hear the insert coin voices and anybody that's ever played the game definitely knows what it is. So that's exciting. Even if this is just the very first steps of the Simpsons and it's months away, it's still really nice to know that it's out there because that's a really really fun beat-em-up game and i don't know about you all but that's one of the games that when i had my arcade my multi-cade machine back in my old apartment we used to have tons of people over after the bar on fridays and saturdays that would always be the game people would want to play who were not gamers that was like the gateway drug for uh, people who you know would casually play in arcades as a kid but never really get super into it and then of course all the fighting games were for all the, the hardcore gamers but that's exciting i would love to add that to the mister so i could have just casual gamer friends come in and enjoy a, a fun session on that but as usual thanks to lou for taking the time to do all this stuff there's no way i could keep up with everything going on in the mister world so please don't forget to subscribe to his channel super appreciate all his work the developer Infidelity has just released his latest NES to SNES conversion, and this time it's for the game DuckTales. And I recently streamed it, and other than being not very good at playing the game, I loved it. It was so awesome. There was no slowdown. There was so much reduced sprite flicker. Um, I didn't run into almost, I think there was one bug I ran into that Infidelity already fixed before, you know, within a day, I think, before the public release. It's just absolutely awesome. So you got everything that you wanted out of this. Um, you know, if you're curious as to why these things are important, I, I just want to be respectful to everybody's time and not repeat myself. So I left a link in the post to where to get more info of me rambling about how much I love this stuff and why you should care about it. But basically, you know, less sprite flicker, less or no slowdown, and you have the ability to add MSU1 audio conversions to it, so you could add CD quality audio soundtracks. And there's always the potential for more enhancements. And in this conversion, Infidelity has the A button mapped to the pogo jump. So anybody that sat through my stream kept seeing that I don't know if there was something wrong with my controller or maybe I'm getting twitchy in my old age. But when I was doing the pogo jump, which is down, so you jump and then you hit down and attack and you hold those buttons and you're supposed to stay in the pogo mode until you get hit or, you know, there's something on screen that knocks you off. But it kept failing, and it kept failing at the most inopportune times. And I don't, I, I definitely remember this from the NES version. And in fact, I played the NES version a little bit before I switched over to this on the stream, and it still happened. So it was in the original game, it wasn't a result of the conversion. So just having an A button to do that is so awesome. And if you are the type that thinks that's cheating, that's totally fine. Just don't use the A button. I'll, I'll cheat all day when it comes to stuff like that because it just you know i don't know if that was a problem with my controller or the code or me but i think that is an awesome upgrade uh this one doesn't seem to have a color palette selection like zelda but what well, is just my opinion please 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 let me know if you disagree because maybe i'm missing something here but i thought it looked perfect in whichever color palette infidelity chose for this one whereas games like zelda i really think that there is no right answer i think it, the colors that the developers chose for that game when they were making it in composite video, I just don't think they translated as well to RGB. And I think they had to, I think that's why it's so hard to tell for most people what your favorite palette for that game is. Cause it just, it, it was never perfect when you're playing it in RGB. Whereas this one, 
I never once found an area where I was like, ah, the colors felt a little off. Not a single time. So please let me know if I'm missing something, but I don't think extra color palettes are needed. I think it's uh, exactly as it should be, but maybe I'm missing something. So, you know, as all as always, I'm all ears. But if you would like to support this, uh, the developer infidelities work, and you'd like to see more of those, please consider signing up for Patreon. You know, it, as much as I, it, it's awesome that these things are free, and if you don't really care and you just want to casually try it, it's really cool. We got to keep supporting developers that do stuff like this. And while the games that he's done, Zelda, Mega Man 2, Mega Man 4, and DuckTales are all awesome, I'm also really interested to see which ones he'll do next, because there are certain NES games that I truly think will benefit from this. And you could end up resulting in the same exact experience with a lot less shortcomings. So uh, I'm excited to see which, you know, which game he tackles next. I just hope more people sign up and are willing to support. Well, that's it for this time. I hope I was able to keep my rambling in check, but still add thoughts where I really felt like I wanted to share my opinions with everybody. And, you know, once again, not to beat this to death, but I try very hard to make it clear when my opinions are opinions and when something is a fact. And it's always okay to disagree with my opinions. And you're welcome to tell me that in the comments. Now, of course, the ruder you are in the comments, the less seriously you're going to be taken, but welcome to being a human. That's not my problem. <laughs> but honestly, I'm always interested in your feedback and, uh, I always try to improve and get better. And I, it's always just such a hard balance trying to get information out there that people who just are getting into the scene can understand, but also people who have been listening to this podcast and in the scene forever. I don't want to bore them to death. And I'm also talking to people behind the scenes, other developers, stores, people that we all work with together. So they could kind of hear what to expect behind the scenes. But I also don't want to talk too much about that because I don't want to bore everybody else. So it's always a very delicate balance and I never get it right, but I think I've gotten less bad at it over the years. But always feel free to share your thoughts on it. And if some of my opinions are just getting too annoying, I'll stop sharing them. That's fine. I just uh, sometimes I just like chatting and other times I really feel like my opinion should be taken seriously because I have a very long background of development, making products, shipping products to consumers, working with devs, working with sales. So I feel like a lot of these opinions come from me saying, no, I've made that mistake before a lot. It cost me a lot of money. Listen to what I'm saying. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying my best to help, but you can't win them all. So thank you very much to everybody who sits through all of this stuff, who voices your opinions, even if they're completely different than mine. Thanks to everybody who plays nicely in the comments and especially thank you to everybody who supports because it is you who is keeping all all of this stuff going and I just so grateful and happy to still be doing this after so many episodes and years so thank you all so much and I'll see you next week <laughs> <laughs>